Thank you for tuning in to listen to this sermon from the Ville Church. To find out more about us and our weekly scheduled services, please visit theville.church. Today, um, I'm going to talk about kind of some of my experience with doing this whole Lent thing and really focusing and being present during Lent, um, while also talking about each week we kind of take a topic, uh, an aspect of Lent and the cross and Easter and talk about it. And this week we're doing sacrifice. Um, when you hear the word sacrifice, what do you guys think about? Jesus? That's the answer to everything. So you're right. So when you, when you hear sacrifice, when I hear the word just, just sacrifice, you know, I think of several things. I think like a, like a Aztec ruler on top of a temple doing something weird or uh, like a single mom working three jobs or a soldier on the front lines uh, going to battle. Um, sacrifice, what the, the definition is, sacrifice is the destruction or surrender of something for the sake of something else. So you give up something, you lose something for the benefit of something else. But what exactly do we sacrifice? What do we, like in this room, what do we in the United States, in Florida, sacrifice. When I look around, judging by the way we live, not what we say, but by the way we live, I would say we sacrifice the things we need to get the things we want. So what do I mean? In our society, we choose what we want. We have the ability to choose what we want. Then we sacrifice what we need to sacrifice to achieve or attain those things that we want, okay? So you want a new car, you sacrifice money towards something else to put it towards a new car. You want to lose weight, well, you sacrifice eating certain foods. You want that promotion, whoa. You'll sacrifice um, time at home or time with your friends to put in more work to earn your promotion. So the real question to me about sacrifice is what do we actually need? What do we need? Jay kind of alluded to it earlier, but what do we need? Because we all know what we want. If you ask anyone in here, if you had $10 million, what would you get? That's what you want. I mean, that, that is what you want. And we can all kind of choose our individual things of what we want. But seriously, what do we need? That is the question. And the thing is, I don't think a lot of us actually know what we need. We don't know what we need. Some of us might know intellectually, but almost all of our lives, the way we actually live it, we do that in a manner where we sacrifice the things we need for the things we want. What do I mean by that? So kind of what Jay said earlier, what we actually need more than anything else is to come back in relationship with God. More than anything else, period. Every human's deepest longing, most desperate desire is to find themselves in relation to the eternal God out there. Everything else is, is fluff compared to that. There is nothing else we need that's more important than that. So what I've learned over this Lent season that we've been in is, is a harsh reality for myself. So what I've been learning is just how disconnected I am from God. Like, on a scary level, 
how distant I am from my father. So in many ways, this has been the hardest Lent season I've ever been in. And maybe that's because it's the first one I've actually paid attention, that I've actually been present and actually trying to seek God, and then it's just been hard. It has been very hard. God has used a lot of people, specifically over the last two weeks, to kind of shake me out of my numbness, out of my arrogance, and out of my apathy. It's almost like God said, hey, I'm glad you're finally listening. Here's what I actually have to say. It's not pretty. It's not all good. There are a lot of things we need to focus your attention on because it's hurting you, it's hurting our relationship, and it's hurting other people around you. So, yeah, today I want to talk about Jesus, and I want to talk about sacrifice. I want to preach on how God, in the ways that our tiny little brains can't comprehend, um, has sacrificed himself ultimately in Jesus, but throughout human history and continually over and over and over again to bring us back to him. He constantly makes sacrifices. How many times does he have to do it? How many times does God have to sacrifice himself for us? He did it with Adam and Eve. He did it with Noah. He did it with Abraham and the Israelites and King David and Mary and the Jews and the Gentiles. He has sacrificially been seeking after the whole world, right? And he pursues rebellious sinners bearing the full sacrifice of going first towards reconciliation. Basically, God builds a bridge and gives us the decision to walk across it. All right? So he willingly sacrifice or he willingly sacrificially seeks again and again and again myself. And yet this is how I respond. I respond like God's my hobby and not my everything. I, I respond like God is an interesting intellectual pursuit, right? And not like he's this treasure trove of unsearchable riches and timeless truths that will forever expand everything, all act, uh, aspects of my cerebral understanding. Basically, he is the definition of literal mind-blowing. Like, we would never be able to fully understand it, but yet I think it's a cool thing to learn about. I respond to God seeking me over and over again like a TV series I'm watching because I'm bored. Not glued to seeing him, giving my fullest attention to what's happening like we did when 9-11 happened. For some of us in this room, when we landed on the moon, we just kind of flip back and forth. Okay, cool. Nah, bored. And not just everything's right in front of us. It's all happening, and we're gaining every detail from it. See, I, I respond to God like an old album I find that I kind of remember some of the songs and play halfway through. I'm just like, yeah, that's kind of cool. I've been there, seen that. That's how I treat scripture. It's like an old album I know, and I know kind of some of the songs, so I listen to them halfway and then move on. But I don't, I don't respond to God like it's the all-time best album made specifically for me. All the songs are familiar yet ever-changing, right? And they literally speak to me. They move me and they change me. I, I tend to respond to God like this 
distant, cold, impersonal force that somehow holds the universe together or something. It's out there doing something. I don't know. Not in awe of the God who created this majestic, amazing intricacies of protons and neutrons holding the whole universe in place, millions upon millions of galaxies, ever expanding, created out of nothing, but who also cares about every minute detail, including the breath I'm breathing right now and the emotion that I feel whenever I feel an emotion. He cares deeply about everything, and he's over everything. This is the God who covenants himself to us as his children. And if you know, in Genesis, when he covenanted to Abraham and his future children, he basically split an animal in half, and God walked through it saying, if I break my promise to you, or if you break your promise to me, let me be like this animal. And guess what? We broke our promise to God, and God ended up like that animal. So I, I respond to God when he knocks at the door of my heart. The Holy Spirit's knocking at the door of my heart. I respond like, hey, hey, I'm glad you're here. I was actually just doing something. Um, hold on. Really happy you're here. Let me finish what I'm doing, and then I'll be right with you. Please don't go anywhere. I'm just really honored and excited. But I was doing something, and I just want to make sure I get it done. That's how I respond to God. I don't respond like when I hear the knock, I shatter what's ever in my hand, dead sprint to the door, ripping the door off the hinges, hoping that God is actually on the other side, letting him in and giving him access to anything and to everything. But that's what he, that's what he deserves. Because if God knocks on the door of your heart, it's like you won the eternal lottery. There is nothing better. So why do I respond to God knocking at my heart like, oh, great, cool, okay, he's here. Um, one second. And not giving anything and everything to see what's on the other side of that door. Well, it's because I respond to God like I'm in control. Like I'm the one who has the power. Like, I'm the one who sets the agenda and sets the circumstances. And the question is, can I be any more foolish? Can I be any more disrespectful? Can I be any more deserving of his wrath? And yet, God continues to sacrifice for those he loves. What does it cost God to love us and pursue us in our sinful nature? When we were in the garden, and I say we, the collective whole, when humans were in the garden, Adam and Eve introduced sin into the human race. We all know that. Once they sinned, death was pronounced. Spiritually, instantly, they were cut off from God until one day physically they would die. Sin is so awful and so defiant towards a supremely holy, just God, that the only action he could take was to give a guilty sinner death. Death was our only choice. We could only choose death. 
Now, the question is, why didn't God shut down everything after that? All creation, all the universe, he just mark it down, swipe it down immediately. It's because while his character is just against sin, it's also merciful. It's also long-suffering, it's also loving, and it's also caring for his creation. We see this in his response, not to sin that happened in the garden, but to the ones who sinned. His action towards sin was swift, and it was pronounced instantly. But to the ones he loved, his creation, do y'all remember what he said? He said, where are you? God knew where they were. Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree? God knew exactly what they had done. He's still asking them. God came to us even after we sinned, withholding his righteous judgment to speak to our hearts. Why? Because God is not through with us yet. And that is the good news of the gospel. He's not through with us yet. God announces the consequences of sin instantly and also the plan of redemption instantly, right when sin happened. That someone will come and put an end to sin. After he does that, he does this remarkable display of mercy. Um, in Genesis 3, 21, it says, The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. You know, Adam and Eve tried to clothe their nakedness and their shame. They realized that they were naked, that they knew good and evil, and they tried to hide, and they tried to take fig leaves and hide themselves. But it wasn't enough. Adam and Eve could not cover their sin. They could never hide their rebellion. But God could, and he did. He caused the first physical death to clothe Adam and Eve with animal skin. Death was required to cover their sin. So from the third chapter on in Genesis, he required animals to be sacrificed for human beings who want to have their sins forgiven. In the New Testament, it reminds us again, it says, in fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. But the blood of a thousand, thousand, thousand animals could never actually remove sin. It could only cover it, just like the garments could only cover Adam and Eve. It couldn't remove their sin. So death was required for sin. Blood was required to be cleansed. Sin will require our death or the death of a worthy substitute. So substitute, as we know, is someone who takes your place. You take their place, they take your place. The only, well, actually only a perfect sacrificial substitute, one that was perfect and human, could completely satisfy the holiness and justice of God. So it had to be a human because a human death was required for our sin. It couldn't be an animal. Our sin requires a human death because we are humans. And it had to be perfect because if we're switching places with someone and it's another human who's not perfect, we get th their death sentence and they get our death sentence. So he had to be human and he had to be perfect. God was the only one worthy of this honor. 
And we are at, God, we are at the mercy of God's decision of what he's going to do about it. it. God knew it would take God sacrificing himself to provide a way for us to come back to him. God is in control. God's the one who has power. God sets the agenda, and he, he sets the circumstances. And we can all today say thank God for that. So Jesus sacrificed his divine status to take on a human form. Sacrificed his king status for a servant one. His eternal status for a death certificate. His perfect union with the Godhead for eternity to actually feel cut off. Jesus came to be mocked, ridiculed, blasphemed for me. For me. He came for me to satisfy satisfy God's wrath for me. To fulfill the death requirement for me. To resurrect and give me new life. To give me, a cowardly, runaway sinner, new meaning and new purpose and union with God. God sacrificed everything, everything, so that we might be reconciled back to him. God built the bridge. But for us to actually cross over, the only way we can do that is actually to sacrifice our life in response, to sacrifice our pride, our dreams, lay them down to follow Jesus. We can't take any of these sinful things with us. So when God builds a bridge, he invites us over But to actually cross over, it actually takes sacrifice on our part as well. See, the world says we sacrifice the things we need to get the things we want. But for those in Christ, we say we sacrifice the things we want because we have everything we need in Jesus. We have everything we need in Jesus. All of our wants in this world do not compare to Jesus. They are a lie. Because everything we could possibly follow and desire is dead. It's, it's a created thing. It has a timeline. Only Jesus is eternal. Only God is eternal. So when we follow Jesus, he gives us everything for eternity. Everything. And yet, we still go after the things we want over that. But when we start to get this, when we start to understand we have everything we need so we can give up the things we want, this is where Romans 12, 1, 2, it says this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. That is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Living sacrifice is is an odd word, right? It's an oxymoron. How can you be living and also a sacrifice? They're two opposites. But we're called to be living sacrifices. So the main word here is obviously sacrifice with the adjective living in front of it. So with sacrifice, first and foremost, in the shadow of the cross, we too are to pick up our own cross and lay down our life. That's the sacrifice we're called to. When we understand that there was an infinite cost God paid on behalf of Jesus Christ because of my sins, my transgressions, my trespasses against God, it humbles me to the point of almost humiliation. 
Jesus came for me. I have to keep saying that today. Jesus came for me. Because how many times do I look at the fact that Jesus came for the world's sins or for y'all's sins and miss the actual good news that he came for my sins? Mine. Spurgeon said this, too many think lightly of sin, therefore think lightly of the Savior. He has stood before God, convicted and condemned with a rope around his neck, is the man to weep for joy when he is pardoned, to hate the evil which has been forgiven him, to live to the honor of the Redeemer by whose blood he has been cleansed. Until you come face to face with your own sin and what is deserved for your own sin and you see death face to face, you cannot weep for joy that you've been pardoned from that. You cannot hate the thing that brought you to the point of seeing death face to face. And you cannot live in the honor of the Redeemer who rescued you so you don't see death face to face anymore. You have to see your own sin. And see, this is where Jay and I are actually very different. I think Jay sees very clearly how he's still a sinner in need of grace. My sin manifests itself into thinking that my past sin has received forgiveness, and part of my current sin pattern is that I refuse to acknowledge or see my current sin. There is a major problem for those in this room, like me, who have a hard time seeing our own sin. It just means we have a shallow, shallow understanding of how holy God is, that God's commands aren't really that important or that they don't apply to me or um, we can pretty much live however we want because God is love. Or we don't see actually how deep our sin runs, that, you know, we're pretty good people. I'm pretty good. Like, yeah, humanity needed a savior, but me, myself, I'm actually... I'm pretty good. God likes me because I'm pretty good. We have to take note, to reflect, to think deeply, to pray intently, to read thoroughly, to listen carefully, to know just how far we fall short. Then and only then can we repent and enjoy the wondrous splendor of knowing God sacrificing himself for us in that, that sin, that area where we fell short. And if Jesus went first and sacrificed for me now, today, in my current sins, the sins that produce death in all of my relationships, if he died for that once and for all, then why would I not sacrifice my life of the flesh and my life of sins and take up my cross and follow Jesus living fully alive in union with God as I was created to do, finally coming to peace with my creator. Being a living sacrifice means, one, we sacrifice, we die to ourselves, and we're also living because we come alive in Christ. So we don't stay dead. Christ, his sacrifice makes it possible for us to be living sacrifices and not just sacrifices. Because we're one or the other. One day our sin is going to come due. And there's going to be a punishment for it. There's going to be a, a holy wrath that comes against our transpasses our trans against God. And the sacrifice will be made. 
and we will be that sacrifice. Or we can be a living sacrifice, placing our whole hope and trust in the, in the work of Jesus Christ, that that was enough. And so we die to ourselves now to actually come fully alive in eternity now. So when we're living sacrifices, what does that actually change? If we actually, if we, if we walk like we're living sacrifices, what changes? Well, for one, our church, we talk a lot about race because we have a lot of different types of people in here. Um, but most of us can agree that relationships between races are, are strained at best, right? They're not great at best. So how do we actually see this whole reconciliation thing playing out? Like, we want that. We want to come together. But there's a lot of issues there. Well, to actually reconcile, two sides have to come together. It's a two-way street. Both sides have to come together. And when we look at us and God, reconciliation needs to be both sides as well. God's first act in reconciling us to himself was to remove this obstacle that actually separated us, which was the guilt of our sin. So God took that away. He took steps that we couldn't take to remove um, his own judgment by sending Jesus' suffer in our place. That's where we get, while we're enemies, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Reconciling with God on our part right now, because that's already happened. God went first. He made his move. Our part is we simply receive what God has already done. And we walk over the bridge that God's provided. That's how we become reconciled with God. So the, the point is, sacrifice is the crucial element to reconciliation. Both sides have to sacrifice. There can be no reconciliation between parties without sacrifice. So in the race conversation, this is how it plays out. White people, right, we need to sacrifice our pride and arrogance and listen to experience and experiences that are not only different than ours, but at times contrary to our experience. We need to listen, but it's impossible to listen unless you sacrifice your pride and your arrogance of thinking you know what's right. And for me, when I think that Jesus left his own comfort, his own privilege, his own prestige, his own power to come in comfort and empower those around him, it gives me all the motivation to actually do the same. And black people need to sacrifice their anger and their hold on being wronged. Jesus endured against the powers and principalities of this world that were formed against him by sacrificing his righteous anger, hurt, and hatred of sin so that more and more of the lost would know his sacrificial love. So we can both look to Jesus in this and come together. And so this actually happened with us two Mondays ago. Um, Jay and Phil actually came to me. And they came to me concerned as brothers. And they said, hey, we hear you saying all the right answers. But it just doesn't seem like you're actually feeling it. Like it, it, it's, it's like you know what to say, but there's something empty behind it. And we just want to bring that up to you. And point that out. And basically what they were saying is that I, I was in this whole race conversation that I wasn't feeling 
the weight of it. That I was being arrogant and apathetic. The two things I wish I wasn't labeled as, I wish I could change my sins and be something else. But that's what they are. So what did Jay and Phil have to sacrifice to come to me and have that conversation? The hurt that I caused them for not truly caring well about the issues affecting them or our church. And yet they did sacrifice that and they came to me. And what do I have to sacrifice? My pride, my know-it-allism, and my arrogance of thinking that I get it. And that's really hard for me. If you know me, you'll know how hard that is. My wife knows me best, and she would say, that's impossible without the blood of Jesus Christ. So, yes, amen. Um, But what was really interesting about this conversation is that it not only exposed me to the way I feel towards race, but even more so how I feel towards God. And so that was a beautiful thing about them coming to me. But this is just the tip of the iceberg for our church. Like in our church, the only way two parties can fully reconcile, right, is that if both sides, the offender and the offended, sacrifice. And that goes for white, black, husbands, wives, young, rich, um, I mean, young, old, rich, poor, anybody. And there's a lot of hurt in this church, right? There is a lot of hurt in this church. And if we want to be the church that we hope to be, we have to, one, be real about the issues and conflicts in our church. And then, two, we have to be real about our involvement in perpetuating them. So you have to do both. So you have to be real about what's going on, and you have to be real about your own, your own action that's actually perpetuating it. So sacrifice is also central to serving our city, Right? When we pour out our time and our energy and our resources to showing the city um, who Jesus is, this will come at great cost for what we want. You can't serve the city and serve yourself. You can't serve Jesus to serve the city and serve yourself. Yet when we realize that we have everything we need in Christ, we will gladly proclaim the gospel to repent and believe the good news that God has come to restore us back to himself We will gladly be the hands and feet of Jesus' earthly ministry. And we will gladly seek justice and lay down our life for our neighbors in this city, the people that are in need, because our satisfaction in Jesus' sacrifice for us will overwhelm us and motivate us to love our neighbors. And and lastly, I want to say this. If all this seems like too much, like, you don't know where to start or it's impossible to do, please take heart. The Spirit of God is working through people all over the world and moving all throughout the world right now. We need to be encouraged to know that people are proclaiming Jesus. This is literally happening. People are proclaiming Jesus in the face of death, holding fast to Jesus in the midst of extreme suffering. Brothers and sisters are standing tall on the rock of salvation in the face of modernism, secularism, consumerism, atheism, Islam, any false doctrine that points to salvation outside of Jesus Christ alone. We need to encourage one another in the face of great evil and suffering to keep the faith and hold strong until we're delivered from this body of death and reign with Jesus forever. That's what we're called to do, to encourage one another, to keep going. We need to thank 
those who bravely defend the gospel at the full cost of their pride, to their bodies, and to their freedoms to, to be reminded that we should do the same. Um, so one way we can do that is this. Uh, I was, I've been really, um, I don't know what the word is. I don't think there is a word for it. But there's been a, with the stuff going on in Syria and stuff going on all over the world, let alone in our own city, it's really been, it's really been heavy. And it's really easy to turn away from that and to go to something lighter and uh, do something joking or do something fun, watch a TV show. But you can't just sweep it under the rug. It's still there. So one thing I want us to do as a church today, after church, I have some letters um, that I'd love for us to prayerfully fill out to send to Christian brothers and sisters all around the world who are locked up because they're Christians. So there's this organization that gives us letters that we as Christians can write a letter to them, and then they will translate it and actually give it to their family to hand it to them in jail, and they are being persecuted because they're Christians. So through torture, through isolation and humiliation, they are on the front lines of sacrificing everything for the hope they have in Jesus Christ. Their examples provide a glimpse of the sacrifice that Jesus actually made for us while on earth to, sacri- or to secure a pathway to come back into God's presence. They are just an example. Like, how extreme those examples are are just still a shadow of what Jesus did for us. So please take some time, encourage them, thank them for their sacrifice after church. They'll be in the back at the Connect Desk. And be humbled and, and be reflective on how we can also sacrifice all of our life, all of our life right now today for the hope in Jesus Christ as Redeemer of our souls. Let's pray. Lord, I am a